This is Stephen M. Smith of Touchdown Alabama Magazine. And when I'm not watching football, look at the newspaper, or drinking some coffee, I'm listening to the Stingland Tuck Show. Only on StinglandTuckShow.com. Round three of the NBA playoffs are just about in the books as Cleveland has swept the Atlanta Hawks to make it to the Eastern Conference Finals. And over in the West, the series between Oklahoma City and the Spurs are tied 2-2. Two to two. We will go in-depth with NBA discussion, and we will have a very special guest talking about lightning and college football stadiums. That and a whole lot more coming up on this edition of the Stingray and Tuck Show. So sit back, relax, and enjoy as we get you ready for round four of the NBA playoffs. Good afternoon, guys, and thank you for tuning in to another exciting edition of the Stingray and Tuck Show. I am your host for today, Stephen Ray, as uh, Landon Tucker could not make it uh, to the show today, so it's just going to be me, but we're going to have a a pretty entertaining show today as we're going to talk about the NBA playoffs, plus we're going to also talk a little bit about college football and lightning safety at football games, and that's, that's a big topic, especially down here in the South, in the SEC, because in the last two years, there have been two separate games that were canceled due to severe weather. First, two years ago, it was the Florida Gators. Then last year, it was the LSU-McNeese State game to open the season for LSU. Both games suspended and eventually canceled due to heavy rain and lightning. So we'll be tackling that. But right now, I think we need to start off with a very interesting topic right now, and that is the NBA playoffs. Now, if you go back to this time last week, you still had the Cavaliers and the Hawks to go. And over in the Western Conference Finals, you had the San Antonio Spurs blow out Oklahoma City in Game 1 leading them by 43 points at one point during that game. Now, fast forward one week later, and here we are, Cavaliers heading to the Eastern Conference Finals as they sweep Atlanta in four games. LeBron and Cleveland going back to the Eastern Conference Finals. Over in the West, you also have the Oklahoma City and Spurs matchup, now tied 2-2 to going into Game 5 later tonight. We will both talk about those games here just a little bit later on in our NBA segment. Then you look at the Warriors and the Portland Trailblazers. That game is, uh, I should say, that series is getting really interesting uh, because, well, Steph Curry hasn't come back yet. There was rumblings about he could return for Game 3, he could return for Game 2. Not so much. He's still out. Now, if you go back... Over to the east, we have the Raptors and the Heat, and there has been some big-time uh, developing news out of that series in the past week. Hassan Whiteside for the uh, Heat suffered the same injury that the Golden State star Steph Curry has, a sprained MCL, and that means that he could be out for two weeks now because of the white side injury. We might miss 
the dream matchup that everybody wants between Miami and Cleveland in the Eastern Conference Finals, a rematch of Wade versus James. We may not be able to get that now, like I said, because of the white side injury, but we will talk more about that here a little bit later. But now we're going to get into a little bit of college football because we had a big-time breaking story over the weekend, of course, down at Texas A&M, and we're going to check in with our SEC correspondent, Stephen M. Smith, to talk about the A&M situation. Are you doing well tonight, Stephen? Doing I'm doing quite well. You know, something is definitely going on down there at Texas A&M. It just just seems that they cannot keep a recruit on campus. What is going on down in College Station? Well, as of right now, especially going back to last week, the highly talented quarterback prospect, Tate Marte, did go out on Twitter and express that he's reopening his commitment process, did decommit from the from the Aggies. And a lot of that goes to uh, there are reports saying that, you know, fans uh, and ex, you know, Texas A&M quarterback was coming out, you know, verbally attacking Marte and a coach or, and fans verbally attacking, you know, members of Marte's family because of him decommitting and, when you look at Kevin Sumlin, this all kind of goes back to Kenny Hill. Remember, after Johnny Manziel left the scene, Kenny Hill was supposed to be the next guy in line. But when you tell every 18- to 19-year-old kid that comes into your organization that you're going to be the face of my franchise and the starting quarterback as a freshman, when you tell everyone, when you tell everyone this thing, Ray, it really... Uh, sets division, it really sets tension, and it sets confusion in the locker room because nobody has a set concrete idea of who's the man under center because you're telling everybody that. And Tate Marte, I think he kind of got a sense of that and has even started opening up his commitment process again, which really angers you know, A&M fans, it angers a whole organization because they thought that they had a surefire guy to come in and possibly compete with not only uh, Trevor Knight but other quarterbacks down the road at A&M. And with him decommitting, it really uh, turns up even more of a flame on Kevin Sutherland if it wasn't already hot already. Yes, and going along with that, you know, if this was at any other SEC school, uh, he would probably already be – on the hot seat or have, you know, the AD would probably have already sat him down and said, look, you need to start doing something because this is really embarrassing. But you're not really hearing that from the AD down there. How much longer do you think they're going to allow Texas A&M to continue to do this before the AD steps in and says, look, you're just embarrassing embarrassing the program down here? I think, I think, Stingray, it comes down to how A&M performs this season. That's going to be the measuring stick. If you look at the Aggies, after Johnny Manziel in 2012, what he did by taking that team to an 11-2 record, of course, they won the Cotton Bowl that year. Manziel secured a Heisman Trophy that year. Yes. After that 2012 season, Texas A&M 
has not had a double-digit win season since that year. They've gone eight and five, eight and five, nine and four. You know, I think even seven and five in one year. But they've won seven to eight to nine games. They have not had that double-digit win season since the 2012 year. And I feel like this is the year where Kevin Sumlin really gets tested. If he does not produce this year, if this team does not perform up to the standard that A&M wants it to have this year, then you look at Kevin Sumlin being gone. Okay. Uh, staying with coaches being gone, who do you see outside of the SEC that could potentially be on the hot seat this year? That's a really good question, something that's very uh, very tough to, to, think, to think about here. I, I know a lot of people don't really want to look at you know, this particular name off the top of my head, but I, I kind of want to look towards the Bob Stoops way where Oklahoma's concerned. And, and I understand you say, Bob Stoops, really? He did pretty good last year. If you look at Bob Stoops for just a second, Stingray, he has not he has not won a national championship since 2001, if I'm not mistaken, and that was under Josh Heupel at quarterback. I mean, I understand he beat Alabama in the 2014 you know, Sugar Bowl game of the 2013 season. He lost last year in a very uh, competitive. Orange Bowl matchup against Clemson, but for Bob Stoops, he has not won the, the big, big, massive game yet since in that 01 season when he, when he secured a national championship in that era. So I, I look at Bob Stoops, Oklahoma, as a guy that you need to win a big time game or a big-time stage championship-wise. He's done it ball game-wise. He'll beat Alabama in the 13 year, the 14 Sugar Bowl. But as far as championship-wise, the big prize, Bob Stoops has not delivered since you know, the 01 season. Yes, and you cannot continue to lose to Texas either. That's absolutely true. All right, moving to the NBA just for a, a little bit. Um, did you watch the uh, series between Cleveland and Atlanta? I, I did watch that series. Uh, Cleveland, absolutely too much. If you look at the three-point shooting of the Cavaliers, and, and it's something when you can get Kyrie Irving, Kevin Love, J.R. Smith and, and uh, of course, LeBron James all on the same page when three-point shooting is concerned. First of all, let's just separate J.R. Smith for a second. He was brought to Cleveland Stingway to be a heat-check three-point shooter. That's his role. He's got to catch the ball, spot up, bang, pop the J in your face, or come off pick and roll, come off pick and pop, come off screen and roll. That was his M.O., as a New York Knicks, that was his M.O. As a Denver Nugget, that's his M.O. As a Cleveland Cavalier, he is a heat check shooter. And when he's on, good luck. You're not going to stop him. Because even if you're trying to contest and close his airspace, if he gets the slightest bit of wiggle room to rise up, he's going to knock down a three-point shot. 
She has struggled at times in the playoffs, but I want to say in game four against Atlanta, she really came out full circle, had an outstanding performance, and when he's on, it does so much for Kyrie Irving, who had the three ball going. It does so much for Kevin Love, who was knocking down the chain. Now, Kevin Love wants to post up at times at that stretch four, but I think Kevin Love's biggest asset is when he's able to space the floor and demand a big to come out and guard him, taking a big away from the paint, allowing LeBron James to drive inside and create baskets. And not just LeBron, but also you know, Tristan Thomas and uh, Timothy, Timothy Moskov to bang down low in the paint. But uh, I looked at that series between Cleveland and uh, Atlanta, Cleveland too much. I think it's a collision course for Cleveland to try to get back the NBA Finals to face, possibly at Golden State. Or if Golden State, more than likely, it will get Steph Curry back today or in the Game 4 series between uh, Golden State and the Portland Trailblazers. If Golden State continues to rest Steph Curry, they may squeak by Portland, but if they don't have a full, healthy Steph Curry by that that Oklahoma City Thunder series, if the Thunder should get past the Spurs, it's going to be very difficult for Golden State to get past Oklahoma City without a healthy Steph Curry on the floor. But you're sticking with um, Atlanta, Cleveland, Cleveland too much more. Okay, staying with Atlanta, what must they do in the offseason to be able to compete with Cleveland to take that next step? I think it, it's got to develop a bench play. What Cleveland's got to do, that they have they have the stars on the floor. You have Al Horford, who's a star. He's not a scrub. He's a perennial 20-point, 10-rebound-a-game guy in the paint. You have Paul Millsap, a veteran player. When you got him from the Utah Jazz a couple of years back, he's got the toughness. He can create his own shot. He's very, very skillful as a power forward. Then you have Jeff Teague, one of the smarter point guards in the league, who can handle the basketball. He's bringing up a young Dennis Schroeder, who's a marquee name, becoming a very much so fan favorite. Dennis Schroeder can pop the three-point shot, has a great mid-range game, can drop in the paint. You have guys like, uh, um, what's his name, uh, Chip Bazemore, who's not a star player, but somebody that can come off the bench and give you quality minutes. I think the Atlanta Hawks, they need to improve the bench play. Once you improve the bench play, you can really see a quality team take that next step. All right, and one more quick question for you. Staying here in the SEC uh, with college basketball, uh, Mississippi State signed the uh, number one overall shooting guard last year, Malik Newman. He, this season, did not play all year with Mississippi State or, or much of the year. He opted to go to the NBA but did not sign an agent. Do you see Malik Newman staying in the NBA and pursuing the draft or coming back to Starkville for his uh, season next year? When I look at Malik Newman here, as I'm pulling him up right now, Malik Newman, only at, he averaged 11.3 points per game as a freshman last season, 6'3", 190 pounds. He's got a good size. For a guard, I would love to see him come back to really home in on his skills. But in this 
day and age of, of, of basketball, you want to get out there while the money is good, and especially with the one-and-done room and play, my opinion, I'm not fully sold on the one-and-done rule because at times I feel like it robs players of not just an opportunity to get a degree, but also to really hone in on talent on the floor, whether it's seeing the court, whether it's being able to be a good passer, being able to develop your own shot, not just inside the paint, but also a 12- to 16-foot jump shot and a three-point shot, just creating ways to attack on the floor. The one-and-done rule, in my opinion, kind of hinders, hinders the player, the athlete, from doing that. I would love to see Malik Newman come back and continue to build on that career, but knowing the type of money that's being thrown into the NBA, the type of contracts that are being formed, and the way these players are able to opt out and opt back in and become bigger and build bigger you know, millionaires within that profession, I think Malik Newman stays and tries to pursue that NBA dream. Okay. All right. Well, man, thank you so much for joining us, and uh, we'll talk soon, okay? No problem, Stingray. I appreciate you for having me on the Stingray Talk Show this evening. All right. Y'all be good, okay? All right. Thanks. Bye-bye. All right. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to continue our discussion about the NBA with our NBA correspondent, Matthew Tynan. That and a whole lot more coming up on the other side of the break. You're listening to the Stingray and Tuck Show. Hey guys, this is Stingray, host of the Stingray and Tuck Show here to tell you about Oz Music in Tuscaloosa. They have new and used CDs, DVDs, LPs, posters, and quick special orders with a 10% discount. You can contact Oz Music at 758-1222. Once again, that's 758-1222. Oz Music supports your local record store. Oz Music is located in the Parkview Shopping Center behind Flowers Bakery in Tuscaloosa. Check them out. Welcome back inside the Stingray and Tuck Show. And now we are going to get into more NBA action with our uh, NBA correspondent, Matt Tynan. And we are about to call him right now. This is Matt. Hey, Matt. This is Stephen. How's it going? Hey, it's good. How are you doing? I'm doing quite well. Um, are you getting ready for the Spurs-Thunder matchup later on? Yeah, I'm, I'm getting ready. It'll be a, it should be a fun game five. Well, uh, how do you see that series playing out? Um, the, uh, 
the Spurs have home court advantage uh, from this point on over the last three games of the series. Depending on how you know, depending on how long this series goes, they they have home court. Uh, so you gotta you gotta say that if you're if you're a if you're a bet man, uh, you gotta you gotta put your money on the Spurs right now. As, as we stand presently, you gotta put your money on the Spurs. Yes. All right. Well, looking over at the Eastern Conference. Um, Going into the Eastern Conference Finals, what did you think about the Cavaliers sweeping the Atlanta Hawks? Uh, surprising, uh, definitely surprising. Uh, not 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 that the Cavs won the series, but that they that they swept the series. Um, it, it it's really interesting, and this is uh, this is sort of what happened with the Cavaliers last year during the playoffs last year. They they hit their stride during the playoffs, and, and you know, interestingly enough, without Kevin Love, without uh, well, Kyrie Irving didn't get injured until the finals, but uh, without Kevin Love after hurting himself in the first round, they really didn't they really didn't hit their stride uh, fully until the postseason. They they had their moments during the regular season and all that, uh, but. This is that cap team. Uh, a lot of people are. It's, it's funny that we look at it like this because a lot of people are paying attention to the Warriors and Steph Curry being back and, and the way they play basketball. Uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers play a little bit like the Warriors. They shoot a bunch of threes. They make a lot of threes, especially when they're hot. And right now they're hot. Uh, they're they're playing. Uh, extremely well. They're playing better right now than they have all season, and uh, there is something to be said about that. The, the, the Atlanta Hawks are, are a very good basketball team, and they just swept them, and, and that wasn't expected. Absolutely, and going back to uh, Memphis for just a second, uh, over the past weekend, uh, they part raised with their coach. What is next for the Memphis Grizzlies? Well, they have a lot of they have a lot on their plate. Um, this last summer, they re-signed Martin Soul, so that that is a you know that's obviously a big deal. The fact that bringing back one of the best centers uh, in the NBA for for uh, for the long term, and yeah, he got hurt this year, but that's still you have him on your payroll and you have him locked in for uh, for the next four years. Um, they're big. The, the the next big thing they got to tackle is: Do they want to re-sign Mike Conley? Does Mike Conley want to re-sign with the Memphis Grizzlies? We'll, we'll see. You know, they they part ways with Dave Yeager. Uh, there was a good relationship between those two guys, so it's going to be interesting. But Mike Conley also has a good relationship with Marcus Gasol, so it's going to be really interesting to see where the Memphis Grizzlies go. Do they want to stick with this as grit and grind? They want to bring back Zach Randolph. Uh, do they want to continue to be this inside-out, grinded-out team? Uh, um, I, I, that that remains to be seen. We're, we're you know we're not sure uh, we're not sure what direction they're going to be going at this point, especially considering the fact that they just let their coach go, and he's a good coach. Uh, he's a really good coach. Uh, Dave Yeager, obviously. In high demand, is already finalizing a deal with the, or has finalized a deal with the Sacramento Kings. So he wasn't on the market for very long. He, he is highly sought after. Um, 
the Grizzlies is an interesting situation uh, if any, if for any reason because uh, they represented sort of the old school style of basketball, and uh, we don't know if they're going to continue that. We don't know if they want to move in a different direction. If, if they want to, you know, build an up tempo uh, sort of style, a, a faster pace, more offense, more three pointers, all of that sort of stuff that's that, uh, that's important in the NBA right now. It's going to be really interesting. I think. Other than the fact that Memphis isn't really like, you know, it's not a big market team. It's not a really flashy or popular team. Uh, it's, it's going to be interesting to see which direction they choose to go because uh, they're at a little bit of a crossroads right now between the old school and the new school. Um, and I'm, I'm guessing, just, just a guess, that they're going to want to go the new school route. They're going to want to, they're going to, want to uh, up the scoring. They're going to want to bring guys in who can hit three-pointers um, and but really it, it it is sort of a it's a fun whenever you look at the Memphis Grizzlies it's sort of a fun experiment thinking you know do they want to stick with that old school style of player do they want to break into the new school and, and their, their identity has been play in the mud uh, grit and grind all this sort of stuff so um, and that's sort of the Memphis blue collar uh, Sort of atmosphere that they've that they've fostered over the years, so it's going to be interesting to see which to, to watch and see which direction they choose to go. All right, going back to the East between the uh, Miami Heat and Toronto series uh, is the with Hassan Whiteside his injury will that affect the Heat moving forward, and can the Raptors beat and upset the Heat in that series? Well, and, you know, the Raptors are the higher seed. Um, so it's, it, it, in, a, in a way, it's funny to look at it as, as, a, as upsetting the Heat, but I think a lot of people feel like that would be an upset. Um, the other important thing here is that Jonas Valanciunas, the, the Raptors center, is also out for the rest of the or He's out for the rest of the series. I, yes. don't, believe he's, I don't believe the Heat have, have officially declared Whiteside out for the entirety of the series, um, but it, it certainly swings. It, it, it's going to be. Um, it, it, it has changed the it has changed the course of this series absolutely. Hassan Whiteside is um, one of the more intriguing and, and interesting uh, players that has that has popped out of nowhere. Over the last couple of seasons, you know, starting last year when he really came back on the scene as a 26-year-old, um, this guy, this guy is a is a monster when he's when he's healthy and when he's right. Uh, but we're talking about a guy who um, has has really filled a gigantic void uh, without Chris Bosh healthy and in the lineup, and Chris Bosh will not be uh, in the lineup at any point. Over the uh, over the rest of the playoffs, um, so Hassan Whiteside was a guy for the Miami Heat who was playing a major major role, and he sort of and he, and without Bosch in the lineup, and of course we all want to see Chris Bosch play because he is an outstanding player. Um, but what has, what what his absence has allowed is for Hassan Whiteside uh, to sort of man the middle and 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 take ownership of that position. 
Uh, and I really would like to see him. Uh, I'd like to see him again in this postseason. He is he is a sort of a freak. He is seven one, uh, hugely athletic, and and not many guys in the league right now like him. Um, so it, it, it's been uh, it's been fun to watch him sort of come out of nowhere. He was a second round draft pick. He had a lot of attitude issues and all of this sort of stuff, and, it, and he was playing for Steve. Uh, it's been fun to watch him find himself and uh, realize the sort of player he can be. I just think that basketball fans everywhere should want him to be healthy enough to come back because, and, and, uh, and really, honestly, and, and not to slight the, the Raptors, because I really enjoy watching the Raptors. I enjoy the, um, I enjoy the uh, the atmosphere up there in Toronto, it, it, is, it is contagious. Those people are crazy about their basketball, and they love having the Raptors in the playoffs. But, man, it would be fun to watch. It would be fun to watch the Heat and the Cavs square off. It would be fun to watch uh, LeBron James face off against his, the, the team that he won championships with, uh, a team that was able to reload, you know, merely – years after he left, uh, I think that would be a lot of fun. Um, I still think because of the fact that Valanciunas is also hurt, uh, I mm. think that he will still win that series. And, and, and I, that's a really, if you're, if you're losing, if you're losing white side and Valanciunas is not hurt, I'm thinking the Raptors are going to take it. Uh, but you lose a guy like Valanciunas on the Raptors, he's also a really important part of that team. Uh, so I'm still, I'm still leaning I'm still leaning heat in that theory. One final question here. Um, with the Atlanta Hawks being swept, uh, you know, against Cleveland, what is next for the Atlanta Hawks, and what must they do in order to get over the hump and be able to make it to the Eastern Conference Finals? Well, they have, a, they, they have, a, they have an interesting road ahead of them. I mean, they have... Al Horford's contract is up. Uh, he, is, he is a guy who is really important to them. Um, he is uh, a, a lot of Hawks fans love that guy. Um, so it's going to be an interesting, going to be an interesting situation for them. Uh, not just Al Horford, but Jeff Z. Um They need to, they, they need to probably make a decision uh, between Jeff Teague and Dennis Schroeder. Um, they. they they have decisions to make going forward, and, it, and they're not easy ones. Um, these guys are really, really good players, and the NBA is a really difficult league in terms of um, the, the margin between being being really good or good or mediocre or even just going to the top end of it, uh, being awesome, uh, being elite being a championship contender. The margins are very small, but they're very difficult to traverse. They're very difficult to cover. So you're looking at guys like Al Horford and Jeff Teague. Al Horford is all-NBA uh, caliber player. Uh, Jeff Teague, you can argue that because he's the, the point guard position in the, in the NBA is incredibly deep, and he's not, uh, he's not at that sort of elite level. Uh, but they... They're going to have decisions to make, and and 
if they want to get to that next level, remember they didn't pay, they didn't pay Damari Carroll uh, last year. He bolted for Toronto when they gave him a really big, big contract, uh, $60 million. It was a little bit too... A little bit too rich for the for the taste of uh, of, of the Atlanta Hawks. So uh, they're getting to a point where they need to make really big decisions on really important players. Um, so I think the Atlanta Hawks are uh, are in a position that not a lot of NBA teams are right now. Uh, they there's going to be a lot of cap room because of the cap spike that occurs. Uh, this summer, uh, because of the increase in the salary cap, teams are going to have more money to spend. Um, so maybe, maybe they're able to. Uh, maybe they want to bring Al Horford back to play center. But then you got to look at it and say, do you want Al Horford playing center and Paul Millsap being your power forward? That's a little bit undersized. And they were one of the worst rebounding teams in the NBA this year. Or do you want to go in a different direction? Uh, do you want to pers- to pursue other free agents, other you know guys that maybe fit a more traditional style of the game? Uh, it's it, it's a really they their offseason is one of the more intriguing in the entire NBA because they have really uh, really important parts who are going to be looking for new contracts, um, and they also are sitting in an area of. You know, do we want to do we want to really go after this new era of basketball, this small ball, uh, outside shooting, really forming a, a team that really fits in with the way that the NBA has has uh, transitioned, or do we want to go a little bit more traditional? Do we want to zig while everyone else is zagging? A little bit like the Spurs, um, the way the Spurs have gotten big while everybody else is going small. Uh, it's going to be really interesting to watch because they're a talented team. They have, uh, you know, obviously a, a really good coach in, in Mike Budenholzer. Um, and they have a, they they have sort of a, uh, their their fan base has been uh, rejuvenated. They've they've enjoyed the last few years. And you really need to keep that momentum, especially in the MK, where, you know, fans can get fickle at some points. Especially uh, Atlanta doesn't have a great reputation for its fan base. That that team they. Uh, they've had some bad years, some lean years. So Atlanta needs to keep this thing going. Uh, they need to keep the momentum going. They need to keep a good, uh, successful team on the court. But they're going to have to figure out how they want to do it. They need to figure out where they want to spend their money. And it's going to be it's going to be an interesting offseason for them. Matthew Tynan, he's always really, really insightful about uh, the NBA. We want to thank you once again for coming on. Enjoy the game tonight between the Spurs and Thunder, and we will talk to you next week. Thanks a lot, man. I'll, I'll, I'll talk to you guys later. Okay, thanks. And continuing on with the Hawks, just for a second, you know, as we've said before, they were swept in four games, and really looking back at that series, the only close game was the game for desperation for Atlanta last Sunday night. And looking at the statistics of that game, the Hawks really outshot and outplayed the Cavaliers in two of the three big phases of the game, field goal percentage and free throws. But what really hurt the Hawks in game four was the three-point shooting 
29% from the field, and that is why I think they're sitting at home right now because the margin of error, as we've talked about before, is so small when you're playing the good teams like the Spurs, the Thunder, the Cavs, or especially the Warriors. Now, LeBron didn't have much to say about the series sweep. He's looking ahead to possibly facing the Heat in the Eastern Conference Finals, and here's what LeBron had to say about facing his former teammate and friend, Dwayne Wade. Of course, uh, anytime uh, you know, one of my best friends is able to go out there and perform the way he performs, it's definitely motivating. Uh, you know, I was looking forward to game one after watching him in game six, you know, the way he was able to close that game out. And, and obviously he just, you know, they all gritted it last night, you know, not only, you know, Miami, but Toronto. It was just a, it was a slugfest watching that game and, uh, and they was able to pull out as well. So, but anytime I'm, I'm able to watch, you know, my guys do work, it's definitely motivating for sure. Uh, I think naturally, of course. I mean, um, but that's been since I came back. Um, you know, it would be great to play against those guys in the, in the postseason. But I've always, throughout my whole career, I was, I've always wanted to go against Wade in the playoff series. I mean, that's just, we've always talked about it even before we became teammates in, in 10. So, um, you know, I don't think it's been, it's not been heavy on my mind, but it's crossed my mind throughout my whole career. Now, taking a short break from sports last week, it was announced that LeBron James, or I should say it was rumored that LeBron James would be starring in a Space Jam movie number two. Here is what LeBron James had to say after his sweep of the Hawks about the possibility of being in Space Jam 2. Well, I have a great team that's handling all my things, all my affairs off the floor. Um, ever since I signed with Warner Brothers, we've been looking to do some things and um, and figure out some things that best fit both sides. But um, my, my team is handling that, and, uh, you know, I, I'm not going to take my focus off what my, my job is right now, and that's, uh, you know, being the postseason right now. And, of course, that's a great attitude to have, especially when you're going into the Eastern Conference Finals. And, of course, we want to thank Cavs.com for allowing us to pull this audio for the Stingray and Tuck show. And speaking of the Eastern Conference Finals, of course, like LeBron James said, um, they are looking forward to playing the Heat. However, that series is really, really becoming interesting because now in Game 4 last night, which went into overtime, and if you look back at the series history, the only game that didn't go into overtime in that series was Game 2. Last night, the... Heat was able to tie the series at 2-2 in Game 4, 94-87. And if you look at the statistics of this game, uh, you know, it really shouldn't have been that close when you look at the field goal percentage as the Miami Heat shot 45% from the game and Toronto 37. But what kept Toronto in it was the Miami Heat only shot 6 percent from three-point range. That is absolutely incredible compared to the Raptors' three-point shooting at 30 percent. That, like I said, margin of error again. That will really help keep teams in games, and that's why the Raptors were able to stay in that game. And one of the players for the Raptors who had come on as of late, Kyle Lowry, only had 10 points last night and was 2 of 11 from the field. And here's what Dwayne Wade had to say about Lowry's shooting performance last night. 
Um, I mean, he made some. We're fine with the way we defended him. He made some tough shots. You know, he's a good player. He's going to make those shots. He's got to continue to keep, um, you know, uh, trying to make it tough on him, trying to make him make tough shots if he make them, you know. You pat him on the butt and keep going, you know. But I like the way we defended him, you know. He's a, you know, he's a shot maker. And, um, you know, obviously he was struggling for a while with a shot, but uh, he came up big for him um, the other night and made some big baskets. And I thought a lot of them was defended very well. Um, so that's all you can do. And, of course, another big uh, story out of this series is the two players, like we talked about before, that are out. Balachunas has been ruled out for the entirety of the uh, series. And, of course, Hassan Whitehead for the Miami Heat is also out. Actually, it's day-to-day, but he did not play in Game 4 last night. And here is what Dwayne Wade had to say about both teams playing with different guys and about Whiteside's injury and how that affects the entire team. We're just playing with different guys. That you de- you know you depend on your big guys to control the glass for you. Um, um, defensively, you, you depend on them um, in pick and rolls, etc. So, um, and for us, you know we depend on Hassan to protect the basket for us as well. Um, so, you know I, that's the biggest adjustment on both sides. Um, obviously, you got to get used to um, different guys playing. Um, you know in that role when you're comfortable with someone who's been there, you know playing all season. And as always, we want to thank Heat.com for allowing us to pull the audio from Dwayne Wade uh, in this series for the Stingray and Tuck Show. And one more final note about this series. The next game, which will be Game 5, will be tomorrow night, which will be Wednesday night at 7 p.m. on TNT. And that game will be in Toronto for a very pivotal lead in the series because the winner will go up 3-2. to two. Now, going back real briefly over to the Western Conference tonight, we have uh, a very, very big game um, over in the Western Conference semifinals between the Thunder and the Spurs. That one will be the only game tonight on TNT at 7 o'clock, and we've already spent a ton of time talking about that game with our NBA correspondent Matt Tynan, so we will go to the other one Uh, in the series over there in the West, and that would be the game that happened last night, the Warriors and Trailblazers, and Steph Curry finally came back from his MCL sprain, and he had a monster game. Now, not a monster game shooting-wise, but a monster game point-wise, because Steph Curry, coming back, had 40 points off the bench. That is absolutely incredible. This was only the second time in the last 30 years that a player has come off the bench in a playoff game to score 40 points. Now let's go back and look quarter by quarter. In the first three quarters, Steph Curry went 0 for 9 from three-point range and only had 13 points in the fourth quarter in overtime. 5 of 7 from three-point range, and 27 points. Now, let me tell you something, guys. That is the true definition of a baller. And Curry's 17 points in overtime are the most by any player in NBA history in the regular season or in the playoffs. So, definitely, Steph is back in a big, big way, and now they take the lead in the series 3 one. So you can almost sum up that the Warriors are going on 
to the Western Conference Finals after the uh, game that they will play tomorrow night on Wednesday night after the Heat-Raptors matchup over on TNT, and they will await the winner of the highly uh, contested series between the Thunder and the Spurs. All right, well, on that note, we are going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to stop all of our NBA talk, and now we are going to get into a very, very special topic, uh, lightning at college football stadiums. That and much, much more coming up on the other side of the break. You're listening to Stingray and Tuck Show, only on StingrayandTuckShow.com. Hey, MSU fans and alumni, this is Landon Tucker from the Stingray and Tuck Show. Look, Cowbell Clothing has awesome cowbell embroidered polos and t-shirts. They also have caps and unique cowbell logo items such as belts, bags. They even have pet accessories. All you have to do is go to cowbellclothing.com and get yours today. Welcome back inside the Stingray and Tuck Show, and now we are going to talk about a topic that really, if you think about it, is not all that important unless it happens to you. Lightning at college football stadiums. And now we are going to get in touch with our very special guest, a National Weather Service meteorologist from up in Nashville that is actually doing a study on the topic. Hello? Hello. Hey, Matt. This is Stephen. How are you? Good, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Listen, um, would you briefly uh, discuss who you are and what you do? Yeah, sure. Uh, my name is Matt Reagan. I'm a meteorologist with the National Weather Service uh, in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, we do uh, forecasts. We issue warnings. Uh, we do uh, weather balloons. Um, so we do it for the uh, Middle Tennessee area, but we have offices nationwide. Okay, all right, and would you please uh, tell our listeners why you started uh, the topic of lightning at college football stadiums? Yeah, sure. Well, it started back in my undergraduate uh, career in college. I actually played college football at the University of Memphis. I was a kicker and punter there, Um, and it was my junior year. Uh, We were playing at Arkansas State, and we had a game delayed uh, because of lightning, Um, and my parents were at the game, family, um, and they told me afterwards that they just had to go into the stadium concourse and just kind of wait it out. Um, so, you know, that kind of caught my interest uh, there alone. And then I went on to grad school uh, where I was studying meteorology. Um, and this, this idea kind of came up uh, with uh, kind of the guidance of Dr. Mike Brown there at Mississippi State of kind of combining the two interests, weather and sports. Um, and it is something that impacts uh, people uh, on a yearly basis, you know, every year. About 50 million people attend an NCAA uh, football game, so there are a lot of people impacted, um, and weather impacts these games all the time. Absolutely. And uh, can you tell us a little bit about um, you know, what you found in your research? Yeah, so I've kind of uh, got two sides of the research. One, kind of analyzing the lightning data um, from the last couple of years, uh, just seeing uh, how many games are affected, um, you know, how much time do people have to take shelter? Uh, what I'm doing is trying to figure out at what distance uh, should a game de- be delayed. Um, right now, the SEC is using an eight-mile radius. So once a lightning strike occurs within eight miles of the stadium, they will go ahead and delay that game. Um, the question is, let's say at the University of Alabama, is 
uh, lightning from eight miles, is that going to give people enough time before the storm arrives at the stadium to seek safe shelter? Um, so that's one aspect of the research. The other aspect is just talking to the different universities out there. You know, there are about 748 programs that participate in college football. So it's not only the big SEC schools, Alabama, Tennessee, uh, Mississippi State, Ole Miss. Um, you have a lot of smaller schools where, um, you know, you may see a thousand people. Um, so maybe policies, you know, for those smaller schools may be a lot different than a bigger school like Alabama. Um, so maybe these uh, delay rate is uh, where you know we should be delaying a game should differ between an Alabama versus um, a smaller school like uh, Bellhaven, which is an AIA school, a real a smaller school. Okay, and uh, also in your research, you were talking about I remember back at the uh, symposium who were doing the um, who were looking at the weather and all that stuff at different uh, levels of college football. Just talk a little bit about that too. Yeah, that's correct. Correct. Um, so what I did is I sent a survey out to all these universities um, and had them kind of respond of who is monitoring lightning, what methods are they using, at what distance they delay the game. Um, but one thing that it did jump out with the research was um, the higher uh, budget schools, so that, let's say the FBS schools, the SEC and those bigger conferences, usually have someone in you know emergency management, event management, or even sometimes a hired uh, private company monitoring the lightning. Uh, once you got into the smaller budget schools, the Division II to the Division III NAI schools, uh, the vast majority of schools are using the athletic trainer um, that is there on the field that's kind of also, you know, they're kind of pulling double duty. One, monitoring the, the weather, and then two, obviously taking care of any injuries that might occur during the game. Okay, and uh, honestly, at what distance do you think they need to stop it in the SEC? It's hard to say. Um, you know, I, I haven't delved into it enough to uh, make a final conclusion. A lot of it's going to be how long does it take to evacuate a stadium. Yes. Um, this is where it gets pretty tough because not all stadiums are designed the same way. Some stadiums have uh, more concourses, more exits. Um, speaking to one of the emergency managers here locally in Nashville over at Vanderbilt, um, it's only about a 45,000-seat stadium, but it still takes them 30 minutes to um, evacuate that just because of the construction of it. There's only two ways in and out. Um, so it's going to have to be something where a school needs to know how long it takes to evacuate their stadium and where are they going to put these people. Um, you know, are they going to evacuate the concourses, which is safer than being out in the open, but still not a completely safe place. Are they going to use nearby buildings? Are they going to send people to cars? Um, so it's a difficult equation that's almost going to need to be, in my opinion, on a school-to-school -school basis. Right, and with the upper decks, what do you do with those people as well? Because they are the ones that's the closest to the lightning. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, get out of there. Um, you know, get out of the, the seats. At least, at least try to get the concourses. Um, you know, I know, speaking to the emergency manager at the University of Tennessee, um, they have built a great plan. Um, they kind of had a close call a few years back, and they they learned a lot from that event. Um, but now they evacuate people. Um, Thompson Bowling Arena, the basketball arena, is right next to Neyland Stadium. Um, so they evacuate them over there and also some nearby uh, classroom buildings. Uh, but, you know, if you are at a game, 
um, you don't have to wait for the game to be delayed. You know, whether you miss two minutes and a quarter or, you know, put your life, life at risk. You know, if I was there at the game, I'm sitting in the upper course and I hear rumbling of thunder or lightning in the distance, I'm, I'm getting out of the, those seats. With the uh, summer coming up, could you possibly give our listeners just some general tips if you're outdoors, what to do for lightning? Yeah, just, you know, if you hear thunder, I mean, you, you've probably heard the National Weather Service slogan of when thunder roars, go indoors. Um, it's easy to remember, um, but it's true. Um, you know, don't wait until um, it's, you know, you hear that crackle of the lightning or, and then the, the, the pop of the thunder immediately, um, you know, uh, lightning can strike uh, six to ten miles from the center of the storm, um, so the, it doesn't have to be raining for for lightning to strike. So, the first sign of a storm, um, seek shelter. Um, and I know, uh, looking at lightning statistics, and over the years and years and years, it's the same. Every year, uh, men are more likely to be struck uh, by lightning uh, than women. That's just because men. Uh, for whatever reason, have that more, well, you know, bravado of, well, it's not going to strike me. Um, they kind of ignore the risk. Um, but please take the threat serious um, and just get uh, indoors. Don't get under a tree. Uh, even being out on your carport or underneath a picnic sh- uh, shelter is not safe. Uh, get in a building or in an automobile. Right. And uh, absolutely. And of course, men like to play golf and fish in the summer. So I guess that makes sense. All right, well, Matt, thank you very much for joining us, and hopefully we can have you on uh, before football season starts here in August. All right, well, I appreciate you having me on, and uh, we'll talk soon. Okay, thank you, man. Thank you. Okay. All right, well, that's going to do it for this edition of the Stingray and Tuck Show. On next week's show, we are going to continue our talk about the NBA and possibly continue also our talk on college football. So, We hope you've enjoyed this thing. You can also check us out on Facebook and Twitter, Facebook, The Stingray and Tuck Show, and also on Twitter at Stingray Tuck. Also, we have our very own website, thestingrayandtuckshow.com, where we have articles and that kind of stuff. So make sure you check us out, and uh, we are also pleased to announce that we are now on the iTunes podcast app. So that's great news. So We hope you have a great week and weekend and enjoy your NBA playoff basketball because like we said before, the Spurs play the Thunder tonight and uh, a pivotal game five. And then of course tomorrow night, we have the Raptors and Heat matchup followed by the last game potentially of the Golden State Warriors and the Portland Trail Blazers. So for that, I'm signing off here on the Stingray and Tuck Show. Thank you for tuning in. Hey, it's Will Lockamy. You know me as the guy that makes really bad jokes along with my brother on the Paul Feinbaum Show. Luckily, you're not listening to that. You're listening to the Stingray and Tuck Show only on StingrayandTuckShow.com.